Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. What is it about people who have a clear call from God? They 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 have a clear directive. Like they know they seem to know what their destiny is, what their purpose of life is, and yet somehow they get afraid that if they don't do something, that they're going to lose it, or that or that God somehow needs them to defend and and uh, protect this calling. There, it's it. Trust me, it's not just Abraham. We're going to look at it today in, in Genesis chapter twenty, but. This is true. I've seen this happen to so many people who have a, you know, a clear calling for the Lord, whether it's a healing ministry or preaching ministry or teaching ministry or, or parenting. And they think like, I like, this is like the Lord gave this to me and now it's mine. And now I have to protect it. I have to do everything to maintain it. I can't let any, any changes happen to it or, you know, bad things are going to happen to me. My legacy is at stake. And if my legacy falls apart, God's reputation will be destroyed. Oh, as the pressure, all the humanity. Sorry, maybe that was a little dramatic. (laughs) It is afternoon again. (laughs) When I'm recording this, I think I get more dramatic in the afternoon. I'm more awake in the morning, but I think in the afternoon... (laughs) Anyways, I'm having fun, as always, in recording the epic narrative. I love hanging out with you guys. If you haven't checked out my TikTok page, go ahead. You know, those are only a minute long, so those are fun. Bob Thoughts, of course, have been rolling along at the end of each one of these episodes, and I try I try to have a, re, uh, a visual recording of them, and I upload it every week on my Facebook page called Bob Thoughts. And I have no idea why that that page was available. Like when I put in the title Bob Thoughts, I thought there's no way that that's going to be available because I've been on Facebook for, I don't know, uh, whatever it was, nine years or something. And I thought, surely another Bob on the planet must have a page called Bob Thoughts. I just, it, it blew my mind that it was available. So I took it. It was almost like, oh, I'm taking it. And then I did, and I was like, oh, that was easy. I was afraid I'd be in a race with people, but I wasn't. So people tend to protect what you know what their destiny is, not understanding sometimes that if God's called you to something, if, and he has, he's called everyone. And and you when you identify what you're called to, and you identify your, your purpose and destiny, and you f- start fleshing that out, in whatever manner that it might come about. When God, you know, because because it's sourced in God, you don't have to protect it. Like it comes with the grace, protection, provision, resourcing of heaven. That's what it goes back to. It all goes back to the beginning. It all goes back to the beginning. We tie everything back to the beginning. Why? Because that's where we came from. That's how God sees us. That's the resource. We all come from this huge, massive, amazing thing called the beginning. And there's no need to worry about it. But it's under that concept 
somehow Abraham is still living in fear. He's still afraid that he might lose something that God's given him. And I don't know, I, I can't explain what he does here, but let's go. Let's start reading. <laughs> let's get in to the story. Chapter 20, verse 1, now Abraham moved from there, where? That other place, into the region of another place, Negev, and lived between Kadesh and Shur for a while. There he stayed in Gear. And there Abraham said to his wife, said, sorry, said of his wife, Sarah, oh, she's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gear, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, I literally just want to, can I, can I slam my hand down? Come on, Abraham. What is going on? Where, what, what did you not learn in Egypt? We have played this game before. You, yep. Uh, what are you putting at risk? You still have no son from Sarah. You are putting at risk everything that God's promised you. Because let's just say, let's just say that the king takes Sarah and let's just say he sleeps with her. And what happens if she gets pregnant by him? What happens? Then the, the line of, of your children will forever be questioned. Abraham, what are you thinking? If he has relationship with her, it doesn't matter if you're the one who gives her the next child. People will always wonder, was it the king? Was it Abimelech? Abraham, what are you thinking? And then I think of all <laughs> the crazy plans of people and the, what they've let themselves do or followed into uh, these plans, these ideas of, I know what'll work. I know what will help the, you know, the cause of Christ in this world. I know what will help people believe in in the love of God. I know, I you know, and they just execute these plans, and you you look at them and think that's like what what is going on. I mean, even simple things like when I see sometimes when I see what I would call like a street preacher. And they're out there just, in essence, condemning people, telling them what horrible sinners they are and that God's going to judge them and send them all to hell unless, you know, <laughs> unless you let God love you and then he'll let you into heaven. So what are you going to do, people? You have a, a decision to make. And, and I do know, I do know that that, that type of preaching I guess you could say it's it has worked like it has a record, right? People people listen, people follow through, people come forward, people want to pray, whatever. But man, what are we telling people? You know, what are we what are we trying to say uh, to these people? Are we trying to trick them into heaven? Like, I don't know. What is Abraham trying to do here? What's his plan? Basically, 
he moves toward the coast, which I totally get. I love being by the ocean. I, I want to live by the ocean. I don't know if I ever will live by the ocean because, well, real estate. But if I have the money or the place or the time or somehow it ever happens, and I know currently I don't see how it happens, but I don't have to see how it happens. I'd love to live on the ocean. I, I love the sound of the ocean. I love the look of the ocean. I love the, the smell and the feel. I love the humidity of the ocean. I love the heat of, I, I wanna live where it's hot, where it's humid, where it's, where it's ocean. That's what I want. I don't know if I ever will, doesn't matter. I don't, my happiness doesn't depend on where I live. But if I had a choice. So when, it, when I see in here that he's moving toward the coast, I think, yeah, that makes sense. I'd get tired of living, you know, where, where it's just green grass grew all around, all around, and the green grass grew all around. I get that. It's pretty. Mountains are gorgeous. I love mountains. I grew up in New England. I, kn I know mountains. I know mountains. I know the four seasons. Like I said, I lived in New England. You get four seasons and you get them like in your face, like punched in the face four seasons. Your, uh, your summers might not start until, you know, late June. But for those three weeks, <laughs> I kid. Well, not really. Uh, no, they're, they, yep. You end up with like summer for about three weeks. It's generally, you know, heat waves, uh, 95 degrees, sunny, humid. People are dying in New England because they're not used to it at all. And they can't wait for winter. And then fall is, you know, gorgeous. It's one of the reasons why people move here. It's why they drive here. It's why they vacation here. It's like, wow, the fall is brilliant. But for me, it's cold. Like, it's like, yikes. It's cold. Like, you get up, it's 40 degrees. You go out during the day, it's 60 degrees. And I know for a lot of people, that's like, oh, it's heaven. I know. So enjoy it. And then you get winter. And winter is, again, smack in your face kind of weather. It's like, yeah. Yikes. And wind chill. Oh, honestly, there's this is I know a personal note. I know and Bob's like, why why are we on this? I don't I'm just I'm letting people get to know me. I don't like wind, okay people? I don't. I know if I was a sailor, I probably would like wind because it's the only way you move, but generally speaking, I can't remember a time where I sat there and thought, "Ah, oh, this breeze makes life so much better. Maybe there was a few times, but but 98% of the time, I don't need a breeze. I don't need wind. I don't need a breeze. Just everything calm. Just calm. Calm is good. Because honestly, here, even here in New England, even though the sun's only up for about you know five hours a day in the winter, if you can find a spot where it's just sunny and not windy, it's like, I, I can handle this. This is fine. 32 degrees or, you know, 30 degrees or even 19 or 10, but it's sunny and it's not windy. You're like, yeah, I can handle that. In the summer, when it's, you know, when it's uh, generally speaking from June to August, you know, it's 75, 80 degrees, but if the wind's not blowing, like it can feel really hot. It's like, oh, it's so hot. It's so nice. It's like summer. I don't, I don't like a breeze. I just don't like the breeze. Yes. Oh, yes. You're right. So he's moving toward the coast, and uh, that makes sense to me. Verse 2, And there Abraham said of his wife, She's my sister. And Abimelech the king takes her. He takes her 
He takes her, which means he wants to marry her. Okay, two things. One, we know that the sister word is a half-truth. It's for protection, for Abraham's protection, not for Sarah's protection. You know, this is just pathetic. He's pathetic at this point. Oh, okay, at least in this instant. The king takes Sarah to be his wife. And my head is like, how freaking good-looking is this woman? She's in her 90s. If you remember a couple uh, episodes ago, a few chapters ago, the angels say to her, uh, prophesy to her, the angel of the, the Lord says to her, you're going to have a baby in a year. In a year. When I come back in a year, you will have a child. In that year, Abraham lets Sarah be taken by the king of Gear. What does he think is going to happen? Like, I just don't get it. Oh, Abraham, what am I going to do with you? Father of the faith. Where is your faith? So in so many ways, Abraham just encourages us that we do not have to be perfect. We do not have to get it right because I can't tell you everything about the story says, Abraham, you got this so wrong. You are so living in fear. You did this to protect yourself. Verse three, <laughs> verse three, God is like, like he steps right in on this, right? But God, but God, it sounds like a song, right? All right, don't sing it, Bob, move along. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. And Abimelech had not gone near her. So he says to the Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she was my sister? He, he didn't. And didn't he, she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. So I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Now, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that it had happened, they were very much afraid. And Abimelech called in Abraham and he said, what have you done? What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. What is your reasoning for doing this? Ha! I'm telling you, I like this king. I like this king. This this dude's got it going on. So I don't know what, what it is, okay? She's 90 and a half years old. She evidently is drop-dead gorgeous. She moves into the kingdom. She also goes along with this plan. You catch that? She said to him, he is my brother. She's part of this. I don't get the plan. I don't get what they're thinking. They had a prophetic word from the angel of the Lord that said, you're going to be pregnant within a year. And then during that year, she's giving, she's given in marriage to the king, Abimelech. Now, I know it's not a huge nation. It's just a, probably a large city, but it's still a king. 
They're playing games with the with the prophecy of God. They're playing games with the purpose and direction of God. This is this is not cool, you guys. This is just not cool. This is not a good story. I don't like I don't like it. I don't like it. So God comes to Abimelech in a dream, like like stage one. And he comes in in a basically a nightmare. And what did I tell you about dreams before? Nightmares are basically dreams from God with the volume turned up. So God didn't didn't come in here. I don't think he came in here with this dream of like, I'm going to kill you. He came in with a dream that was like, pay attention to what I'm telling you. Duh, this is like you're what you're about to do will bring about death. Why? Because you're about to enter into sin because this woman is a married woman. And sin always brings about death. And I know what's going to happen here. I know what the enemy's planning. I know what he's trying to do. I'm trying to show you you have a choice. Don't touch her. He's like, I I I I I didn't touch her. He goes, Yes, I know you didn't touch her. I know you didn't touch her because. I didn't let you touch her. Now that phrase in verse six, this is why I did not let you touch her. Most people believe that for whatever reason, the first night that he went in to hang with her, he just couldn't get it. His apparatus didn't function. And so although he might've had, you know, a nice meal with her, he didn't actually sleep with her because he couldn't. Because the Lord was like, I, 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 I. This is, this didn't happen. She's a married woman. And if you take her, you're going to be in a lot more trouble. Now it's, again, I don't think this was a threat from God. This was a revelation from God. And the king asked a fair question. He's like, why, why would you, why would you destroy us? Like we did fine. Like I'm innocent of all these charges. And God's like, yes. You are. I think it's awesome that God comes to Abimelech. He doesn't go to Abraham and say like, what are you thinking? Go rescue your wife, you dippy. No, he goes to Abimelech. I think Abimelech, he clearly wasn't freaked out by a conversation with God. I think Abimelech had, a, had an understanding of the spiritual world. He might have even had an understanding of Abraham's God which is why Abraham felt comfortable going to this city. He may have had an understanding of this of the the prophet of God, this this prophet of Yahweh, and he's like, "Okay, I, you know, I I get it. I like the idea of one creator God. I like the idea of only talking to one God. Like I'm going to stick with that." Because he doesn't freak out. He actually has the conversation, which tells me God likes to have a conversation. He doesn't like to come in with a threat and a hammer, and kill people. He lets the king in on the plan. He's like, I didn't let you, I, I, I helped out here. My goodness is keeping the destruction of sin from entering your kingdom and from your entering your family. But if you decided to press forward, which is your choice, you will open yourself up to all that sin brings, which of course is death. Maybe not this year, because sin often likes to just destroy things slowly, eat away at your family, eat away at your at your connections, eat away at the relationships, and ultimately bring about death to all those relationships, and possibly even bring about death 
to you physically. But when sin gets involved, death, death occurs, and that's what God's telling them. So after all of that, verse 8, early in the morning, he calls in all of his officials. I don't know how many people that is. Could have been five, could have been a dozen. He calls them all in and he tells them what has happened. He's like, hey guys, you know that that beautiful new wife that I'm I'm wanting to marry? Well, nothing happened between us because I couldn't make anything happen. And then I fell asleep. I fell asleep and then I woke up. Well, I didn't really wake up. I had a massive, massive dream, really intense. And so some of these officials, I'm sure, are dream interpreters. They're thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Like, like we're going we're gonna to be doing our job here. But instead of giving them a, a dream to interpret, he's like, in the dream, I talked with God, and God and I had this conversation. And he told me that this woman is actually the wife of the man she claims to be her brother. Now, I do know that this is a general term, and maybe they're just playing word games with us. But the point is, she's married. And... He lied to us, and she lied to us, and if I had slept with her, we would, we would have opened ourselves up to destruction because I would have been living in sin. He had a concept here of moral right and, and wrong. He had a concept here that was far different from the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why I believe that Abraham's general teachings about Yahweh and Creator God had influenced the culture of the Philistine land, the Philistine nation, which is where he was. So they all get updated. Then Abimelech calls Abraham in, and I'm guessing Abraham's thinking, oh, the king wants to see me. You know, he just married my wife. Oh, what is he thinking? And he asks them this question. What have you done to us? Now, you can imagine if, if you've ever done something wrong and you think you've gotten away with it and somebody who might have been wronged by what you did asks you the question, what have you done to us? And you're thinking, how much, how much do I tell them? How much, how much do they know? How much do I admit to? How bad is this? Like I picture the wheels are churning in Abraham's mind. He's 99 years old. Evidently, his wife looks 20. And he's thinking, oh, boy, oh, boy, boy. Oh, what, what, what do I say? How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this? Um, uh, and then he, then he asked me asked another question. How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? Now Abraham's like, oh, crud, this is, this is uh, personal. He thinks I did it to him on purpose. Um, mm, this, this, I got to formulate the right answer to this. And then he follows up with another question. You have done things to me that should never be done. Ooh, Abraham is in a heap pile of doo-doo at this point. He's got no way out. Because by the time the third question comes out, Abraham knows the king literally knows everything. And so Abraham comes full clean. Verse 10. Well, verse 10, Abimelech asks the final question. What was your reason for doing this? 
uh, Abraham's sit, sitting there and he's like, okay, I, I can't give him any, you know, fuffaloosh. I have to tell him the truth because he clearly knows what's going on. I, <laughs> I'm thinking in his mind, he probably has no clue that God literally, you know, visited Abimelech last night and didn't visit Abraham. So Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife, because she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, through not my mother, and she's became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham comes clean, and basically he says, I didn't think you believed in God. And I thought, if you don't believe in God, you're never going to believe our story. That we're still waiting to have children. That someday I'm going to be a great nation. That there's a, a prophetic word over my life that in some crazy way, of which I have no idea how, all of my relatives will someday possess all of this land. So I decided way back before we got here, Sarai... And now, Sarah, anytime somebody asks, just tell them you're my brother, you're my, I'm your brother, and I'll tell them you're my sister, because technically that's correct, although we know it's not really totally correct, because you married me, and we're husband and wife, but to keep you from, you know, from uh, being stolen from me, and me from dying, because they'd rather kill me than, than you know, and have you. We'll just say that we're brother and sister. And she went she went along with it. This was the plan. So <laughs> Abraham basically co confesses to a king who who probably is aware of God, clearly has conversations with God. He says, the reason is because I don't trust God. And I fear that there's a, you know, the sinful culture around me will consume me and kill the plans and purposes of God that he has told me. Good grief. If this doesn't perfectly, uh, you know, picture what so many people have when it comes to their, their identity in God, their ability to, to track with what creation, their creator has given them and the way that creation calls out to them. The, the ability that everyone has to speak life and light and to bring healing to the world around them, and yet they don't do it because they think, well, the sin culture is too great. I better, I better just hide everything. I better just pretend that we're not actually called to the things that we're called to, because if I actually step out into the craziness that God has called me to, no one's going to believe me, and somebody might kill me, so I'm going to be quiet. Good grief, Bob. You're screaming. I know. I backed way off the microphone. Sorry, that just really hit me. At once, you know, why, why is this story in the Bible? It's a terrible story. But it's that fear. It's that fear that so many people live with. If I really step into everything God called me to be, I'll fail. I'll die. Maybe not physically, but that's what I mean. Like that something will die. I, I, I won't get to keep what I have. Stepping out into the call of God is, 
is amazingly exhilarating. And if you're afraid of it, fear doesn't come from God. Fear comes from the enemy. And that's what Abraham is saying. I was afraid. I was afraid. I didn't trust God's goodness to come through for me. Hmm. He also, at some level, took responsibility for Sarah. He's like, you know what? It was really, it, this was my plan. She agreed to it. It's my plan. But she's my wife and my relative. And she probably felt some form of, of obligation to obey me. So she did. But this is really my fault. This was my plan from the beginning. Hmm. So then in verse 14, then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah. Hmm. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you'd like. Wow. Huh. I'll just, oh, let me just go ahead and finish. I was going to break this down, but let me go ahead and finish. Verse 16. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother, I like this, like he's he's pulling Sarah aside, he's saying, I just want to let you know what I'm doing here. I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Okay, this is, uh, first of all, what just happened? How long are we talking here? It seems like this happened overnight, but clearly this has been happening, happening for months. The Lord has protected Abimelech and his household. He protected them by putting down a supernatural shield that said, I'm going to get their attention. I'm going to let everybody know what's going on here. This was not a one-night stand for Sarah and Abimelech. She was there for a while, and he could not sleep with her, and he couldn't sleep with any of his wives or any of his servants, and they couldn't sleep with each other. There was like a an epidemic of infertility and ED. And it wasn't until, you remember at the end of the nightmare, God says to him, uh, he says, you need, you know, this is my prophet, Bob, find the verse. This is why uh, you did this with clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, verse 7, and he will pray for you, you will live. And that's not just uh, you will live like I'm gonna, I'm about to kill you like the the, you know, the, the weapon is drawn. I've got the knife against your throat. Do what I tell you or you'll die. He's, he's saying, if you, if you enter into relationship, why? Because God is a God of relationship. He's like, if you enter into relationship with Abraham, and I know he's done this terrible thing, but I've protected you. I've protected him. I've protected Sarah. Like, my goodness, got all of this covered. Sin wants to destroy all this. I'm telling you the way out. Give Sarah back and enter into relationship with Abraham. If you enter into relationship with him, he will pray for you. 
and in prayer through the prophetic word of what he's going to release to you, you will live. He's saying your, your line, your loin will live. Your women will give birth again. Whatever amount of time it was in this chapter, it was enough time to know that nobody was getting pregnant in the, in the household of servants and concubines and wives of King Abimelech. This would have been noted by all the spiritual leaders in that realm. They would have said, "We this is, mm, something ain't right. Something ain't right. So Abimelech does exactly what God says. He calls in Abraham. He asks questions. He enters into relationship, and then he blesses Abraham, and Abraham prays for him. Verse 17, then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. You see, when, you, when honor is given, it releases even more goodness and blessings of God. Honor was not only given to Abraham, but it was honor was given to Sarah. Abimelech publicly made clear to everyone, he goes, I'm giving a thousand shekels of silver to your brother because I want to make sure that your honor is restored. I want everyone to know we never slept together. Sarah is pure. She is clean. I had no physical relationship with her. And in that in that honor, Abraham was able to pray and restore life. He's like, you will live again. That's what God predicted. And Abraham restored life. Everybody was able to um, function as they were uh, destined to function. And, and fertility was restored to all the women. Now, actually, there's some legends that say that the women, that it wasn't, you know, that, uh, well, okay, how do I say this? Okay. If you're in a van, uh, turn this down. If you're with children. There are some legends that say the reason why the women were infertile, like this didn't take months. This chapter actually only took a few days. The reason why they knew that they were in trouble was the men had ED and the women were, uh, shall we say, sealed up. Not just like made to feel like virgins again, but like they were sealed up. Like it was a, it, there was a supernatural covering over the top of them. And they were like, what just happened? So I don't know if that, if that's true, but again, you know, it's legend. Somehow all the women knew we are not having babies anymore. And all the men knew we can't make babies anymore. And within that time frame, whatever that is, after Abraham prayed, everything was fully restored. And, and, uh, and Abraham and Sarah were given free reign to live anywhere they wanted to live in the realm of Abimelech. He said, we're going to stay in relationship. I, I'm going to stay in connection with you and your God. Uh, and clearly Abraham and Sarah were able to still try to have children. And at some level, it's about to happen. So this can't be more than a couple months after the angels had pre predicted that she would be pregnant. And again, it goes back to my mindset of who in the world, like what was the plan, Abraham? But when you make plans out of fear, fear destroys wisdom. 
fear, and I know some people, would you, are you not afraid of fire? Are you just going to walk through the fire because you, you don't make any decisions in fear? No, you, no, I'm not, come on. You want to play those kind of games? Fine. I would say, yeah, I don't walk through fire because of, of wisdom. I know what fire will do to me. Am I afraid of, of fire? I know better than to touch it. It's understanding. I'm <laughs> what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of heights. I, but when I'm standing on, like I have, I've stood on, you know, the top of redwoods on a zip line, and I've thought, I really don't like it up here. I know everything's safe. I don't like being up here. I don't like heights. It's far different than than being afraid of them. I don't. I don't make. If I was afraid of them, I would have never gone up there. I just don't like being up there. But I love my wife, and she loves being up there. So up we go. Up we go. That's that's the difference for me. Abraham made a decision out of fear. He decided on that fear on his way into the promised land, and he lived out that fear as often as he needed to in order to protect himself because he didn't trust the goodness of God to keep the purposes of God and the and the and the direction of God from from happening at some level he said it is my responsibility to make God's plan come out i just want you to know it's not your responsibility all you have to do is love people love God and walk this out walk it out every day let God handle the details there's an old proverb, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't try and figure it out. Rest in him completely. That idea is a hammock. Lean not, like trust in the Lord. That's the idea. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Just lay out all your weight on, on him and let him take care of all the other things. All right, everyone. I look forward to continuing the story with you next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. All right. Well, one of the first things I have to do is <laughs> I got all over living at the beach, right? I mean, obviously. And it definitely is a place that I love, but as you guys who have been following this daily know or weekly know, I've been traveling for the last eight months in an RV all over this beautiful country. And oh my goodness, there are other places that are breathtakingly beautiful. And I also would love to live there. So I am sorry if uh, if some of you were like kind of offended, like, oh, Bob would never want to come live near us. But oh my goodness. My my perspective has been changed. My life has been re renewed. It's honestly, this country is freakishly beautiful. Freakishly beautiful. I I've been to I've been to so many places. Honestly, I can't I can't go through it all. I mean, if you if you're friends with me on Facebook, not that you have to be, because I I run everything publicly, because I got nothing to hide. Uh, but you can you can scroll down my wall and oh man you will see a ton of photos from all over the country and it is it is 
ridiculous how little justice a photo does to where we were. My wife and I went, I've never seen the desert, right? And I walked through the desert. One day, uh, my wife had to do something. I literally, I was like, I'm just gonna go walk in the desert. And I did. I was, I was amazed how beautiful it was and yet how, how like strikingly dangerous it was. I kept, I kept imagining like what, if you're walking through, like what did these pioneers do? What did these guys on horses do when they came up against this desert? And it goes for days, even if you're driving. I honestly, I've, our country is breathtaking. There is a lot of beauty, a lot of beauty. And I just, yeah, I, I just had to correct that thought. <laughs> First thing today, I heard that, I heard my, my uh, episode and I was like, oh my gosh, like I would so change that. There's so many places I'd go. I was, uh, having grown up on the East Coast and traveled up and down the East Coast, I was amazed how, how breathtaking it was to be in places where there were no mountains, like none for miles. The desert plain, the high plains, uh, the corn, the you know the cornfields, the farming and and ranches of Minnesota and Oklahoma, and Texas. Oh man, just I was like, wow, this this place is. I, I look over at my wife. We're like driving in a straight line for seventy five miles. I'm like, this is gorgeous. This is beautiful. She just smiled because she grew in the Midwest, so she had been out there a little bit before, so she kind of knew what, what, what to expect. I was blown away, blown away. Anyways, that's that. Uh, <laughs> the second thing I wanted to touch on was the idea that walking by faith, right? This whole journey, as, as some of you may know, our journey around the country is really a step of faith. We we walked away from a wonderful church. Uh, honestly, I got paid really well, and we had a beautiful house. Uh, it was it was ideal, right? But we both both believed. We really believe and still believe that there is something more for us to be a part of. There's just something more out there, and we didn't know what it was. And man, the Lord was. Like we thought he'd be straight up, you know, send us an email or job offer. He never did. And yet the voice was consistent. There's more. If, if you want it, you can, you can step out in faith. And it really was an invitation. It really was an invitation. It was not, it was not a, and, and yeah, it was not a manipulation. It was not a coercion which I know some people really believe God does, it was an invitation. He was like, you can stay. You can stay, but, but you know, you can't stay and, and, you know, and expect the more that I'm going to make available to you. And we wanted more. We just wanted more. And we, we still do. I mean, it's weird not being a part of a church for this long. Um, that's all I knew. That's all I've known since I was 19 years old. And I'm 57 at the time of this uh, recording. But walking by faith, honestly, excited. Oh my gosh, especially early on. So exciting to walk by faith, to believe God's going to do something, right? Now we're eight months in. Um, 
and and we look around and we go, wow, like, uh, okay, God, like we stepped out on faith. Like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> it's kind of funny. But for, you know, for my journey, uh, the Lord has confirmed through really trusted counsel that I go to. He just keeps, he, he confirms, well, you haven't missed it. Right. That's something a lot of people do. Like I stepped out in faith and then nothing happened. I think I missed it. God's like, no, you can't. You can't miss it. You're not going to miss it. And I was like, OK, so I haven't missed it. And so then it's like, well, then where is it? And they were like, well, you're it's it's not a matter of faith. Right. Faith is something God gives us. He delivers. We all have the mind of Christ. We all have the same measure of faith. It's the measure of unbelief that we have that differs. And our measure of unbelief dictates how we're going to interact with our faith journey. Well, that was really good. Somebody should have wrote that down and done a podcast on it. But anyways, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it really comes down to us now. It's like, okay, do we still believe that God's good? Do we still believe that he is trustworthy? Do we still believe that we are, you know, on the journey that he wants us to be on? And we believe all those things to be true. So we are going to continue this faith journey. We're not going to try and make something happen and and just start a, applying to churches. Not that I would get a job at a church. I mean, most churches, uh, on a practical standpoint, you have to be connected to a denomination, their denomination. You have to have gone to their seminaries. You have to have been a part of their churches for a certain amount of time, and then you're deemed trustworthy. It's, it's, I have none of those things. Uh, just always been kind of a rogue out here, and uh, now I'm without any church, so it's not even like I can say, yeah, like, hey, talk to my current boss, because I don't have one. Uh, so, yeah, getting into a church, I think, is a long shot, except by, by God, or where, whatever else. I don't know if it is a church. I really don't. Still don't know what he has planned. I do know it's more than, than I can imagine. And for me, that's exciting. And I think Abraham struggled with that as well. He stepped out and said, hey, is this something I really want to be a part of? Or is it something I got to make happen? And I think in a lot of ways, he tried to make things happen. And we covered that in the episode. But He's got a lot, a lot of more growing to do. He's going to do it. It's, he's an awesome father of the faith, but he wasn't perfect. He struggled with unbelief, and I don't blame him. Hey, everyone, have yourself a fabulous day. Thanks so much for stopping by. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.